0: is dedicated in loving memory of Feige Batschmuel Verivka. As we know, Robert Ashlag was born and grew up in Poland. At that time, the Jews of Poland were enjoying the first civil rights they'd ever enjoyed. For the first time, they were officially on an equal footing with the other citizens of Poland. Robert Ashlag was by then a respected rabbinical teacher and a Dayan in Warsaw. That means a rabbi who's fitted to give judgments in court. So his wife was extremely surprised when in the year 1921 Rabbi Ashlag turned to her saying, I have nothing more to do in this world. I have already rectified that which was laid on me to rectify. She cried and she said, but what shall I do if you leave me? And the children are so little. He told her there is only one possibility through which I will not depart this world and that is if we leave Poland and go to the land of Israel but if we do decide to emigrate we have to travel immediately so quickly the rabbinites began making arrangements to obtain money she was heavily pregnant but notwithstanding began packing suitcases getting ready to leave Europe forever. They left Poland in September 1921, Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul, and it was while still on board the boat that Mrs. Ashlag gave birth to her daughter Batsheva. Rabbi Ashlag's daughter, Sarah, later told, My parents left in so much haste, they couldn't take all of us children with them. They simply didn't have enough money to pay for all the tickets. So they had to leave me and some of the others with relatives. Only later I joined them. But when they arrived in the Holy Land, the family heard sadly that two of the children left behind had died, probably of some infection, as childhood deaths were still prevalent in those days. There was a boy of 13 called David and a girl called Bracha. It must have been a real grief. Before his journey to the land of Israel, Rabbi Ashlag had approached his teacher, the sage of Porisov, to say goodbye. The sage was concerned at the prospect of the journey, and he told the rabbi, you should know that in the land of Israel, you're going to lose all your spiritual attainments. But Rabbi Ashlag answered him quite peaceably, saying, I'm not looking for spiritual lights. I'm looking for work. When he arrived in Israel, Rabbi Ashlag's first thought had been to hide his spiritual stature. He didn't want to make use of the Torah for personal gain, and preferred to make his living working as a craftsman. He brought tools with him from Warsaw, with which he could prepare the parchment for Torah scrolls, and he also had equipment for the manufacture of soap. But despite the fact that he was proficient in these skills, the work did not go well, and the business did not succeed. Jews who had known Rabbi Ashlag as a Dayan in the Rabbinical Court in Poland began to arrive in Jerusalem, and Rabbi Ashlag found he could no longer hide his learning in Torah. When Rabbi Ashlag had still been in Poland, he had heard that there were Kabbalists in Jerusalem, and he had even heard of a yeshiva where the students learned Kabbalah. He wanted to see how this yeshiva organised its studies. Now, since he arrived in Jerusalem at around the time of the festival of Sukkot, he was particularly interested to learn of the knot that the Jerusalem Kabbalists practiced when they shake the Lulav and Etrog. That means what they actually thought of when they were shaking the Lulav and Etrog. So he hurried to Yeshiva Beta El in the Old City. But when he arrived, he was quite disappointed. He found it closed. When he asked the janitor why it was locked up, Rabbi Ashlag was told that the Yeshiva was on holiday for the whole month of Tishrei, the month of the festivals. This came as a great surprise to him, because the concept of a holiday was unknown among the Orthodox Jews of Poland. Initially, Rabbi Ashlag had thought he would be able to join with the Jerusalem Kabbalists, but he found the reality very different from his expectations, and he was bitterly disappointed. He wrote about the type of study he found there. Now, we're going to look at what he wrote today because I think that what he said all those years ago, actually 80 years ago, relevant for us today. And this is what he wrote. Since I had been wasting away so confined in the constrictions of the city of Warsaw in Poland, in that I had nothing in common with my surroundings. I had anticipated delight in settling in the old city of Jerusalem. May it speedily be rebuilt. Amen. But when I arrived and I met with the people, I clearly saw their spiritual poverty, their ignorance and their foolish ways, defiling and trampling the soul of our temple. For as the sound of the thorns under the pot So is the laughter of the fool and this too is vanity, says Solomon in Ecclesiastes. They vilify God, the Torah and the people of Israel. Here there is no clear voice in the wisdom of the Kabbalah. There is no understanding, neither is there any knowledge or logical argument at all. They just see the Kabbalah as a collection of words and names, with no parable and its solution, only literal words. These people regard it as a merit to simply prattle pieces of text exactly as they are written and the perfect faith that these are holy words, and that by reciting them we are fulfilling the purpose of creation. They believe that when more people will occupy themselves in reciting these texts just as they were written in complete faith, then immediately the Mashiach will come, the Messiah, because they think that all the tikkun of the world will be completed in this manner and nothing else will be necessary. I met the more famous of them. These are men who had spent years learning the Zohar and the writings of the Uri, to the extent that they were able to recite the books of the Uri by heart to a wondrous degree. They were known as holy men. I asked them if they had learnt with a teacher, that is to say, one who had attained the inner meaning of these matters. But they replied, God forbid, there are no inner meanings. Only the words, as they are written, were handed down to us. There's nothing more to say on the matter." I asked them if Rabbi Haim Vital had grasped the inner understanding of these matters, and they answered me that he hadn't grasped any more than they had. I even asked them concerning the Holy Ari himself, and they replied that even he didn't know any more of the inner meanings of the words than they did. All that the Ari had known, he'd passed to his student Abihaim Vital, and so it had reached them. I laughed at them, because if the Ari had neither known nor understand the connection between matters, then how was it possible that the matters were connected in his heart? They answered that the Ari received the connection between matters from Elijah the prophet, and he only knew those meanings because he was an angel at this point i poured my anger out on them because i had no more patience to be in their company when i see the stupidity that has found roots in nearly all those who occupy themselves with this wisdom at this time then i cry woe to the ears who hear this would you seduce the queen and i am in the house the zohar itself has already spoken up bitterly on the deceit with which these men sin in their souls when they say there are no inner meanings in the Torah. The Holy Zohar itself addresses this, saying that if the purpose of the Torah is simply to tell stories and chronicles of history, then these are also to be found in the stories of the other nations of the world. The sages further say that those who think like this are blaspheming. What would the sages of the Zohar say if they were to see the spiritual culture of these sinning men, men who deny that there's any wisdom or logical argument in the words of the Zohar or in the true wisdom itself. Even regarding the secrets of the Torah, they say no knowledge or rational thought is revealed in this world, only reams of text. They have dared to have their way with the Queen, the Holy Shekhinah, in the innermost aspect of the palace of the King, Woe to them, because they have caused evil to their souls. The sages of the Talmud said, The Holy Torah puts on sackcloth and laments before the Holy Blessed One. Your children have made of me a harp for them to play on for their entertainment. These people don't even make the semblance of a song from the Toa, just words that appall every listener until he's filled with anger and contempt. Even while acting so despicably, they request the reward of the zealous as they say that what they're doing is done with perfect faith on such people the scripture says and the lord said for as much as this people draw near and with their mouth and with their lips do honor me but have removed their heart from me and their reverence of me is a commandment of men learned by rote therefore behold i will again do a marvellous work among these people even a marvellous work and a wonder and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the prudence of their prudent men shall be hid." This is the reason that the first temple was destroyed, and the Satan is still dancing among us, even now, in the generation when the footsteps of Mashiach, of the Messiah himself, can be heard, even at this time when the secrets of the Torah will be secret no longer and the jealousy for the Lord of Hosts comes like a fire within me that cannot be extinguished. There has come within me such an awakening to reveal the garment in which the Torah is clothed in such a measure as they will know that there is wisdom in Israel. So we see, hard though the disappointment was for Rabbi Ashlag, it helped him define his role and his work clearly before his eyes. Look at what the Zohar says about taking Torah literally. This is in the Zohar Mishpatim. Rabbi Shimon said, Woe to the man who says that the Torah comes to tell literal stories and stories of people like Esau and Laban and such like. For if this were so, Even in these times, we could make a Torah out of the words of ordinary people and even nicer stories than these. If the purpose of the Torah were to show the matters of the world, well, even the rulers of the world have more excellent matters than those in the Torah. We could go after them and make from them a Torah in the same way. But all the words of the Torah are high matters and are of the highest inner meanings. Come and see, there is a higher world and a lower world And they are weighted in the same weight. Israel below is equivalent to the higher angels above. Of the higher angels it is written of them, he makes spirits his messengers. But when they come down to this world, they are clothed in the garb of this world. For if they were not clothed in the garb of this world, they could not survive in this world. And the world could not tolerate them. And if that's true of the angels, then how much more so is it true of the Torah, which created the angels and all the worlds, and which only exist through her? The Torah came down to this world. If it were not clothed in the garments of the world, which are the stories and words of ordinary people, the world could not tolerate it. And therefore, the story that it is in the Torah is only the garment of the Torah. Whoever thinks that this clothing is the Torah itself and there is nothing beside that is crazy and will not have any portion in the next world. Because of this, David said, open you my eyes and I will look in the wonders of your Torah. That is to say, look what is beneath the garment of the Torah. Come and see, there is a garment which appears to all. And those silly people who, when they see someone dressed nicely, looking splendid in his appearance, don't look further, but they judge the person according to the splendor of his garment, they consider the garment as if it's the body of a person, and consider the body as if it were the soul. Likewise for the Torah. It has a body which consists of the commandments of the Torah, and this body is dressed in clothes, which are the stories of this world. Foolish people of the world only look at this garment, which is made up of the stories of the Torah. They don't know more and don't look to see what is beneath this garment. Those who do know more don't look at the garment, but at the body beneath the outer garb. The wise men, the servants of the High King, those who stood at Mount Sinai, only look at the soul within the Torah, which is its chief aspect. It is the Torah itself, and in the future to come, all will look on the innermost aspect of the soul of the Torah, which is the Kabbalah. Woe to those wicked who say the Torah is only a collection of stories. They're looking at its outer garb, and nothing more. Happy are the righteous who look in the Torah as is fitting. Wine cannot sit except in a jug. So the Torah cannot dwell, except in this garment. Therefore, we need to look only at what is beneath the garment. All the words and all the stories are garments. So what is this message for us? The message for us is to put the work in. In trying, trying to understand what Rabbi Ashlig wrote what, did the, what is the Kabbalah trying to say to us? Of course, we have to first try intellectually and then experientially, trying to see what it feels, how we, how we feel the Torah and the Kabbalah with all our being. Seeing how these learnings enrich our observance of Torah, observance of the mitzvot of loving our neighbour as ourself. When we try, we are rewarded by knowing that our work is not in vain. It's not about succeeding. It's only about trying. So many times Rabbi Ashlag wrote in his works and in his letters that God has pleasure and delight from the labour and effort we put in. All success belongs to him alone. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahorah School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudelev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahorah School online. Details at www.nahorahschool.com or www.nahorahpress.com.